Hello and welcome to another episode of Bullet Points, a critical podcast all about shooting games. My name is Evan Smith and I'm joined as ever by Reed McArthur. Hi there, Ed. Hi there, Reed. How are you today? Mm, I'm pretty good. I just had a sip of coffee, so you know, I feel it making its way into my bloodstream, pumping me up, getting me ready to talk about Satan and guns. Excellent. Patrick, how about you? Sorry, Patrick Lindsay, my <laughs> other co-host. I am ready to have a bloody good time. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, if you hadn't guessed by now uh, from those puns and references, or from the fact that the episode you clicked on was titled as such, <laughs> this week we are talking about Doom, which is a game that you may have heard of. Uh, I think it did a, a bit of business, sold a few copies, bit of a cult hit is Doom. I'm joking, of course, it's a big, bloody significant game and we've got a lot to talk about it because I think that basically everyone working in games, writing about games, making games, has in some way been influenced or has at least interacted with Doom on some level. Um, came out in 1993, uh, it's published by, is it ID Software or ID Software? Yeah. Is it id? Yeah. Okay, so it's probably right id software, um, which at the time comprised mostly four people, John Carmack, Adrian Carmack, not related, Tom Hall, and John Romero. Um, and it was originally a PC game, notable for its ability to connect players and have uh, quote-unquote online multiplayer as uh, later ported to consoles and has spawned, well, two sequels, but also... Another one is either imminent or by the time this launches will be out. Hmm. It'll be very close. One of the two. Be very close. Yeah. So um, if you don't know the premise of Doom, you are a unnamed space marine, perhaps the original space marine, uh, who has arrived at a military base on one of the moons of Mars, where uh, experiments have opened a portal to hell demons have spilled out, killed all the people working in the lab, and you must fight your way through them into hell itself to destroy the head demon and restore order, save the world, etc. I'm going to go first to Reed. Reed, could you give us maybe a little more information on Doom, and uh, perhaps why you think it's significant? Ooh, um, that's that's a tall order. I guess, like, talking about Doom is tough because it's such a you know as you've already kind of said it's such a big looming presence over games and especially shooters which is what we're talking about here um i guess i'll say i like doom and i like it because it's uh very bold about what it wants to be and you can still kind of tell that it is uh an uncompromising video game many years you know two decades plus after its release that's mm. you gave me a really general question that i didn't know how to answer so yeah it's a broad spectrum why is doom you know uh, significant i think that it's probably <clears throat> it's probably worth sort of noting that um although wolfenstein 3d another game by id popularized first person shooters i think that doom was the one that kind of gave them the definition and some of the tropes that we might commonly associate with first-person shooters as of today. Patrick, what would you say some of those tropes are? Um, Well, obviously, the most obvious one is the unnamed Space Marine, 
trope that has persevered even to this day. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of, weirdly enough, well, I guess some other tropes. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. I have so much to say about this game. <laughs> um, the whole idea of like sh- ubiquitous shotguns in video games comes directly from Doom. Um, I don't know. I mean, you basically can... Tra- it's, it's, it's like the progenitor of essentially every first-person shooter ever made since um in some way and a lot of its influence believe it or not is actually kind of more subtle slash behind the scenes slash technical like things about its level design how it uses its engine how its lighting works with the rest of it all of that stuff but there's tons and tons and tons to talk about and i'm sure we will get into it in much greater depth very shortly mm. i think it's worth um just pointing out that uh, on top of this podcast, a couple of things that may be worth reading or looking into. Um, first is Masters of Doom, which is a book by David Kushner, uh, which is a uh, account of the, the creation of both uh, id Software and Doom itself. And that features a lot of uh, information on the, on the four designers, on their process, on how Doom was created, some of the sensibilities that went into its design. Um, another reference for that is Scary Dark Fast by Dan Pinchbeck, one of the developers working with the Chinese room. And his book is a kind of blow-by-blow account of various design aspects in Doom and, and how they function together and, and how they perhaps for, uh, informed modern-day FPS games. Um, I think there's perhaps a, an interesting... I'm going to have to paraphrase this quote, but an interesting quote to, to jump off on and perhaps one of the, the, the best topics to, to start with is, is Doom's level design. Um, Chris Crawford, uh, former game designer and founder of the Game Developers Conference, uh, was once reviewing Doom and describing it, and, and he said that the, the dead bodies that you see on the floor in Doom, uh, the sort of furniture dead bodies that you come across, not enemies that you've killed, just dead bodies that are lying there, are extraneous to the game's design because they don't add anything to the mechanics, so they shouldn't Oof. be there. Um, yeah, so let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about what the game design in big, big inverted commas is of Doom uh, and what its levels are designed to feel like and to play like and whether a quote like that has any um, relevance. So, read. Yeah. Uh, in as... In as in as careful terms as you can, uh, how would you describe a level of Doom? What do you think are some of the the things that you feel when you play a level a level in Doom, and, and how do you think they're designed? Well, I guess like uh, one one thing to say is that I mean I didn't really get into playing games too much until I was a bit older, um, and Metal Gear Solid I think was like a big way of 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 hooking me back into games when I was, I don't know, 11 or 12 and thinking about kind of what, what you could talk about in games, uh, and doom, which my cousins had, you know, I don't think I had a computer that could run it was this game that when you played a bit of it, it showed you and it's a, you know, a curse. It's a, it's verboten to use the word immersive when when you're writing about games. (laughs) But when, when you fired that fucker up, when you were, you know, a wee boy, and you started playing it, it was something. It was uh, kind of sucked you in in a way that I don't think a lot of a lot of games around that time did, at least to my recollection. Um, and so when I think about the level design, I think about how it 
uh, less about how sort of it's constructed, about how you move through it, and more sort of the atmosphere of the game. Um, uh. And I think that's something that holds up um, because I'm I'm not much of a person who's into just sort of like trying to increase my skills in games and in shooters. But I've played through Doom a bazillion times just because it's it's just got this this real mood to it, this sort of mm. gross uh, sort of 13-year-old's version of hell uh, mm. that it holds up. And I don't know, I, I feel like I'm flipping back and forth between what no, it I... meant when it came out and what it means now and everything. But I, I think I... to me that's the most immediately impressive aspect of Doom. I think that you're onto something. I think that what stands out to me, uh, especially from a looking at Doom as a sort of historical artifact, what stands out to me in Doom's levels are uh, is sorry uh, a lot of games I've played <clears throat> that were released before Doom. The levels are designed basically as ludic and, and mechanical challenges, um, and aesthetics seem like a, a secondary, even tertiary consideration. Uh-huh. Doom is is one of the earliest games I think that really priori- uh, prioritize how you were going to feel, mm-hmm. not just what you're going to not just what you're going to think, not just what you're going to press, not just how quickly you were going to react or fail to react to what was going on screen. I think the atmosphere, which is again a terrible game criticism buzzword, <laughs> was uh, uh, Doom was one of the first games I think to to really prioritize that. Um, Patrick, what do you think? I agree with you, and I would actually go a step further on that point you had mentioned just now about how a lot of older games were about challenging skills, um, especially if you look at like arcade games, for example. They're all about you know mastery so that you can excel and you know get the most for your quarter or whatever. Um, so a lot of older games or a lot of Doom's contemporaries were designed to slow you down, whereas Doom is exactly the opposite. That game is all about speed from start to finish and its atmosphere is creepy and it it is in service to the game but it also doesn't get in your way it's designed to be played and played fast and it's it's designed to not be frustrating so that you can just kind of drink everything in and not really get too hung up on oh my god i have to play this this one part that i keep getting stuck on a million times yeah and it kind of I mean, when you talk about it that way, too, Doom's also interesting in kind of straddling that line that I think games are still kind of finding and in some senses kind of splitting off into two different directions about skill challenges and just purely sort of logic puzzles, spatial puzzles, and uh, being other spaces for you to go to and, you know, kind of drink in a, a different world by, by looking into your screen. And Doom, I think, is interesting because it came out at a time where, you know, it's sort of excelling at both of those things and mm. sort of setting up shooters for where they can go. You can, you know, on, on one hand, you can make uh, Call of Duty multiplayer, and on the other hand, you can make Dear Esther, and they're both coming from the same, you know, starting point, I think. Mm. Well, allow me to fire some shots then. To get us started here, because I personally uh, remain kind of unconvinced of this argument that that Doom, you know, facilitates the the drinking in of its world or facilitates fastness and kind of um, easy kind of imbibing, and it's about just a pure experience. Because I, I actually find the level design in Doom to be um, 
obtrusive in a way that it's not d- designed to be. I think that some of the puzzle sections and lever throwing stuff is is really sort of jagged and uh, a big stumbling block. I find myself lost a lot of the times in the levels in Doom, and, and again, not in the way that I think was intended. Uh, and I find that you know there's a lot of sort of platform moving and secret doors you have to find, and um, it can actually be quite a stop-start experience. And I think that <clears throat> in a lot of the sections, because the levels are uh, similar-looking throughout each level, as in you know they have a, a limited number of textures because this is 1993, mm-hmm. it can be hard to sort of identify where one is in relation to where one was. And I actually find the levels in Doom occasionally anything but um, conducive. You know, I, I find them very, very frustrating. Um, and I think we've had this conversation before, but I'd be interested to hear your guys' repost. It's hard for me to, to talk about that on equal footing because I, like, I know the game so well and I know the levels so well that I can't it's really hard, if not impossible, for me to play it with a, a quote, like a fresh set of critical eyes. Um, because I just know inherently where I'm supposed to be going and what I'm supposed to be doing. So I can't really, I don't really have that same experience of, of discovery that you that you might be having, Ed, not having played it as much. Um, mm. But I do think that there is, at least to an extent, a consistency and a flow to the levels, um, especially from episode to episode. Um, how effective that is, I guess we will we will explore further. But I, I I don't think that it's just a bunch of like if you've played Wolfenstein 3D, for example, um, mm. in that game literally every corridor looks the same. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't get that from from this as much. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think Ed, you've mentioned this before. I can't remember if it was on the podcast or not, but um, I definitely have thought about that before and that's kind of what to me kind of spoils Doom 2 uh, which I think takes that tendency of uh, levers and and secret passageways that it it makes them central to how you have to get through the game Uh, and I think in Doom there are a handful of levels where uh, you get slowed down you get frustrated but to me it's I don't know if I excuse it a bit because it's from a time where that was sort of accepted. I mean, it was mm. this is a game that I think was pushing at uh, kind of the zeitgeist of, of challenge-based game design, um, but was still coming from that perspective. I think they still felt that's how a game, you know, even if you try to break away from it in certain uh, senses, still has to have these kind of confusing maze-like layouts and everything. So mm. I don't know if that's why I kind of excuse it um and i would say that what patrick says too about the sort of the progression like when you when you do know what's going on with these levels and you play it again you you know beat the first five levels in 20 minutes and you're just kind of zooming through it the which i think is the way that they want you to do it everything does kind of progress you know things can be kind of samey looking in one level but uh it changes as you go you know, it does feel mm. like you actually are moving from one place to another. Mm. Well, I think this this might be an interesting place to, to bring up um, another part of Doom's history. Um, again, I'm paraphrasing here, but there's that famed quote from John Carmack who wrote the engine for Doom and was one of the 
<clears throat> excuse me, central design mind. Uh, and he says something on the lines of uh, story in video games is like story in pornography. Uh, it can be there, but nobody expects it to be there or, or nobody cares about it or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's worth noting that there was originally a designed version of Doom which included a lot more sort of um, narrative markers and, and was designed uh, a lot more like a sort of functioning, if you like, military base. Um and a lot of this stuff can be found in a document called the Doom Bible, which was written by Tom Hall. And uh, he wanted to feature more things like cafeterias and dormitory rooms. And you'd find more sort of dead bodies. And maybe some of them would be slumped over a table with like a deck of cards on it as if they were killed in the middle of a, a card game. Um, and all of that stuff was thrown out. And the game became what it was, which I think is, is as Reed was saying, a bit more maze-like and... Um, Although you do get a sense of moving from environment to environment and you can sort of identify as this is a weapons hangar, this is uh, arms storage, this is a warehouse. Yeah. Uh, those spaces don't make sense in a kind of, you know, verisimilitude kind of way. This isn't how these right, places yeah, are laid out. They're not, they're not mimetically designed. They're not meant to mimic actual spaces. They're named after actual spaces. Um, but I yes. think I think that's meant just to kind of contextualize what you're doing. Um, yeah. There's nothing about these these like the first level, for example, is called a hangar. Um, yeah. It's not a hangar, and there's a giant slime river that flows through the middle of it. Like there's there's no way that this is a real space. But again, mm. like when they parted ways with Tom Hall, who was basically the narrative guy for the game. Um, they they stripped the game down. They field stripped it, and I, I think the best word I would use for Doom is lean. Um, mm. And they uh-huh. decided that the route they were going to go was just focusing purely on motion and the kinetics of it and the feeling of it. And I I don't think that's a bad thing, um, but it is it is not a uh, it's it's not designed to uh, to win a Pulitzer for its writing or anything like that. No. Um... But I, I do think that Reed, you put it really well. Um, the game was, you know, pushing against the zeitgeist of challenge-based gaming. I think that it is, but certainly uh, they're pushing against, but it's pushing back. I think there's definitely still a, a, a huge tension in Doom between uh, we want to create a sort of fluid and flowing game experience with big capital letters, but also we're in 1993 uh, and people are expecting games where they're going to die and retry and have to um, sort of almost in a kind of platform game sense jump and try again and sort of blunt force their way um, through these levels and to me personally that that occasionally hurts it I, I enjoy it the most you know I don't get me wrong I think Doom is fantastic and I, I enjoy it immensely when you're gliding through these corridors bang 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 gliding 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 that's when it's at its highest points but it does occasionally reach these sort of sensibilities design moments where it feels extremely 90s um but again having said that i think this is a game and i'm sure you two would agree that even now feels very fresh uh and is still you know absolutely enjoyable yeah like when you talk about because i've i've heard that as well about uh that doom bible and the idea that there was kind of more rationale for what was going on and and they wanted to have more uh, immediate narrative in the game and I I think even though they tossed everything out 
something remains where you you can see what they were trying to do and yeah you, I agree. you can see you can see in the visual design of these monsters and uh in the way that uh you know the little cheesy episode end caps where it says you know i don't know patrick probably has these tattooed on his back or something but it's like rib cage actually the, but it's like you kick the zombie out the air hanger and look down on the moon and uh you can tell that they had this whole this whole story worked out and it's only evident in kind of the, the visual design the audio visual mm. design of the game i would but it's I mean, still there i i agree with you 100 percent. in fact i would argue that doom is actually more of a narrative game than i think even the developers give it credit for it just mm. yeah. it expresses that narrative visually rather than um textually or through dialogue um yeah mm. Each of That's... the ch- each of the chapters has its own sort of point, its own feel. They're all incredibly distinct from each other, not just visually, but also uh, the level design gets crazier and crazier the further into hell you go. Um, like the first episode, which was also worth noting, it was released as shareware, so it's the one that basically everyone has played, um, and it's it's a fairly straightforward affair. Um, there, there's twists and turns, but it takes place in a military base. The setting is more or less familiar. Um, but then once you get into episodes two and three, and then later four, it's all teleporters and like hidden switches and just it, the, the, what the hell is going on factor just jumps up exponentially. And I think Mm -hmm. that, well, a, that was a result of, uh, Sandy Peterson taking the design reins away from John Romero. But I think that might also be intentional as a way to sort of express in a visual way that yes you are in fact fighting demons from hell this is how chaotic things are getting as you progress further through the game well i think that there's certainly something in the if we're talking about you know visual storytelling another kind of buzz phrase um one of the games that we've covered on this podcast before is marathon which was uh one of the early games by bungie who would then go on to create halo and in both marathon and halo uh, when you're fighting these alien enemies, you get a sense of hierarchy between them. You have the lowly, sort of smaller aliens, and they're being commanded, if you like, by the the bigger, um, more armored aliens. So you get this sense of like military hierarchy. And I think that you also get that in Doom. Um, you have the sort of zombified marines who are the kind of lowest ebb, and then as you move through the game, you you find these increasingly elaborate, increasingly dangerous. Uh, enemies and you you do get a sense not just in the sort of boring mechanical sense of oh I'm getting further through the game the enemies are becoming more difficult you do get a sense of I'm moving closer to the sort of the center or the the command post if you like of this this force Um, and that's that's an interesting thing that they do well and the great thing about that too and this is kind of just a side note to it is um, and I don't know if it was if it came from I think I heard it came from an accident in the programming that they would the monsters will sometimes fight each other yeah that was accidental yeah but it ends up being the greatest thing because like what Ed was saying you get further and further and you're kind of working toward this you know that spider demon that's the final boss of this game kind of the mastermind of the invasion in the first game Um, and and you do feel like you're seeing this hierarchy but (laughs) You also get the sense that they're, you know, asshole demons because if they bump into each other, they'll start fighting each other, and mm. it lends this whole thing. And you start seeing that more as they put 
tons of enemies into the room together as you progress through the game. Yeah, I and mean, it does it, give it, you the sense of. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say it gives you the sense of that these are you know evil, nasty creatures who are just as happy to, to tear each other apart as they are to attack the player. It's it's funny mm. because it was a bug, but at the same time, um, I really like that they just kind of ran with it and were like, all right. Um, and a, a lot of the later levels and um, some of the levels in, in Doom 2 as well are actually kind of designed around the fact that you're supposed to make the enemies fight each other. Um, uh-huh. yeah. Some of the enemies would be very, very difficult if that weren't the case. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just, again, using its sort of the technical back end in a way that hadn't really been done before from a design perspective, that's... I think probably the main thing Doom does really well is it marries its its technical side and its design side really, really well. A lot of studios, mm. even t- today, want to have the most powerful engine and the, the highest resolution, but this, this sort of tech-driven approach to design doesn't really work if you don't have um, the design chops to back it up, and mo- many games don't. Um, they're really pretty to look at and really boring to play. Um, and I think the reason I like this game so much is because it doesn't do that. Hmm. Well, I think the best example in Doom that I can think of of where the technical prowess <coughs> complements it uh, design-wise is, uh, I don't remember the name of the level, it's one of the earlier levels, it's probably still in the shareware episode, uh, but you walk into a room and the lights are kind of turning on and off they're sort of flickering so they go light and then dark light and then dark and you can hear that there are monsters in this room and what tends to happen is you can be walking along and the lights go dark and then when they come up again you're face to face with a creature and it's a, it's a scare and it tests your reflexes and, and so on and so on and um, John Carmack laboured for a long time to get this lights going on and off effect um, you know that was, a, that was a big technical effort but of course it, it creates a, a great mood piece it, it creates a great piece of um of design from a, a sort of literate you know or, or experiential kind of point of view um and yeah but having that marriage is something that is still rare in games today um yeah sorry reed no no i was just gonna add to that too i think um this this is more just kind of fawning over what the game does right but were talking about the the lights flickering on and off think of the sections of the game where you're kind of going into dark areas and you can find some sort of night vision pickup thing but if you don't have it you have to kind of find where these monsters are by listening to them make their mm. you know disgusting monster noises and the sound design in this game is like it's it's fantastic for 1993 but it's also some of the better sound design uh, in games in general. Mm. It is. I mean, every monster's got a very distinctive grunt and you can hear them from uh, other rooms. You can hear them from behind walls, you know. And they can uh, hear you, sound. too. And they can hear you walking yes, and shooting. They yeah, they, they, they respond to sound, yeah. Um, and that sense of, you know, they're in the walls is is really strong in Doom. Um, well, because oftentimes a... they literally are. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. You, you get a great sense of being um, surrounded and, and kind of constantly having to have your wits about you. Um, but I think if we're just going to have a brief period of, <laughs> of 
fawning over Doom. Um, I think one of the things that I admire about it most is just the just the sort of tale behind it. I think that you know this is made by four people um, who you know had a couple of moderate hits with like Commander Keen and, and with Wolfenstein, but yeah, four people who who had a very kind of non-flashy gaming studio and um, a, a quite sort of rough and ready approach to how they were going to make this game and yet they did and, and it became what it is uh, I think it's a great story I mean that, that David Kushner book that I mentioned near the start is, is definitely worth reading just for that um, and I think that that's, that's actually something about Doom that again I don't get as often or, or often enough in modern video games you know modern video games it's made by a company it's made by this triple-a games made by a company and, and by a brand and they're very secretive about that how they were made and it, it all seems quite cold and faceless and as a result it doesn't have an artist behind it and as a result it feels kind of artless whereas doom is the opposite of that you you really sort of have more of a, a sympathy for it because it's quite patently come from these four people working under these interesting conditions um yeah yeah um that's kind of what I was referring to a little bit too at the beginning when you you know one of the things that strikes me about this game always when you look at it is it wouldn't be what it is and it wouldn't have it wouldn't have had the impact it, it had I don't think if it wasn't for that you had these guys who were making as far as I know exactly what they wanted to make you know mm. uh, this unapologetically gory kind of stupid metal album cover of a shooter you know where mm -hmm. it, it doesn't feel like at any point someone was saying don't don't do that or you know have you considered maybe you know making this zombie blow up differently when you shoot it not, mm -hmm. not spray intestines out you know it's it's you can tell it's these uh these young developers who are just like wouldn't it be awesome if and they're putting yeah. all that stuff into the game and it's got this energy to it that um, you know that you don't get a lot in games, and I think you get less and less of as the bigger the teams are on games, uh, because mm. it becomes more difficult to coordinate. And this game feels like small and scrappy, and it knows what it wants to be, and it doesn't care necessarily what you think of it. I will take that. I, I agree with you, and I will take that a step further and pose a question: In that, do you think we will ever get another Doom? Not in the sense of another game in the in the Doom franchise, I mean another game that bears the same sensibilities, that is steered by the same sort of motivation. Um, that's just sort of as unadult as unadulterated and unabashedly just itself as this game is. I I think that's interesting. I mean, I think that uh, if you categorize Doom as a game that makes you feel youthful and makes you feel sort of in touch with quite sort of adolescent impulses. Uh, I think there are lots of games and game makers now that are very earnestly and in my opinion unfortunately and um, retrogradedly if you like, <laughs> trying to sort of take, take their players back to childhood. I'm kind of sick of games that are trying to make me feel like a child because they are very simplistic and, and, and emotionally very cheap. Um, I also think that first-person shooters now that attempted to do something like Doom would end up feeling like pastiche or parody, like that game Strafe that I think is due out in earnest perhaps later this year is very directly 
and homage to 1990s shooters. And even something like the latest Wolfenstein game gets referred to as, oh, it's like a 1990s shooter. So to actually have a game that is like Doom in the very sort of noblest sense, a game that's made by youthful, energetic, willing to try uh, creators who are also sort of unburdened by um, cultural lineage, you know, who are doing something that that has very, very literally not been done before. I don't know. I don't think that that can happen now. I think that there's there's so many games, basically, in such a such a lengthy library of games that doing something with the same disregard for the past or whatever as as Doom would be very, very difficult. Well, that's. I mean, that's kind of a cynical. I, I'll be cynical about a lot of things in games, but I mean, one of the only ways I can stay interested in them is to think that something like like that could happen. You know, that mm. that there are people out there who... And, and it's heartening when you see people especially who come from different disciplines who say, yeah. mm. I, I want to make a game. Um, you know, and, and they have this energy and they don't feel like they have to... They're, they're not indebted to a, the history of a medium that's still so young and still so, in a lot of senses way too formal about what what its audience expects um i think like something like and it's it's too close to doom and it's not a great game in a lot of senses but you know something like hotline miami where you can make it with a few people and it mm. also had that we don't care what you think about this game kind of attitude um but that's also in a lot of senses a you know that pays so much homage to Doom in, in certain respects. Mm. So I don't know if that's a great example. No, I, I think that you're onto something there, actually. Um, and I, I apologize if I sound cynical. I think that what I'm trying to drive at is that there are so many kind of rules and expectations now that, that games and game makers are, are um, pressured to adhere to um, that perhaps didn't exist so much back in 1993 or maybe i don't know it's such a hard thing to pin down in in a lot of ways because we've got now we'll say just for the sake of argument 20 years of sort of history so many games even in the quote indie space seem like they have to get their obligation of like tipping their hat to all the right things out of the way before they can actually get to their game um like uh, hotline miami is an example of a game that does that um Serious Sam, which is another sort of, we'll call it a modern Doom-like, if we want to be super obnoxious, um, is, is again, it, it kind of puts on the air of being really unapologetically just whatever it is, but it, even that has all of the sort of checkboxes next to it that you can very clearly see. Um, and it's, it's interesting because in, in some ways it's easier now to make a Doom than it was 20 years ago because just the distribution options are so much greater, the resources are so much more available, the barrier to entry is so much smaller. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, 20 years ago when Doom was being made, you didn't have this sort of pedigree hanging over your head that was kind of consciously or unconsciously directing what it was that you were supposed to do. Mm. Yeah. and That's exactly it. And that's why I, I think about, and, you know, there there are times, and usually, if we're lucky, we get one or two a year of these games that come out that seem uh, as if they're, they're willing to disregard um, sort of 
their context in this industry and in this medium. Um, and they feel like, I don't know, I imagine if you were writing about games a lot and Doom came out, um, they feel like that same kind of freshness, that same willingness to be what they want to be. Um, mm. and, and they do occur. I'm thinking of games like, I think, PT for you know, the Silent Hills demo for uh, what a weird little marketing thing that was, but like, what a strange thing that was, uh, and completely unabashedly experimental. Um, there's mm. something like Gone Home, I think, feels like that too. Where more recently, her story too, yeah, yeah, her story is another one. You know, uh, and and all of these games, you know, if you whether you like their the actual execution or not, I think they're interesting as these these things that just kind of come out and you know, feel like they were made because someone had to make them. Hmm. But where Doom perhaps is kind of different from a lot of these, um, or maybe not, but I, I'd say that Doom wasn't just an example of, of a game doing what it wanted to do and doing it unapologetically. You know, we want to be violent and loud and action-paced and whatever. Um I think that Doom also went quite further than that in as much as, I wouldn't say invented a genre because, you know, Wolfenstein 3D might be credited as the inventor of first-person shooters, but it certainly solidified a genre. You know, it kind of, I think first-person shooters arrived with with Doom. Um, And it's very rare that that happens now. I mean, even something like Her Story, even something like Her Story, which I think is... I don't like the game at all, but I think that it's it's formally, instructionally, um, pretty idiosyncratic. But it, it also is is very tied to point and click adventures. It's very tied to, um, I think, mystery games in general. Um, and Doom, I don't know. It just it, it felt liberated from a lot of genre trappings, um, and it's very rare that I see that happen. A lot of this goes back to the the technical side of things. Um, First-person games existed, but they were largely, almost exclusively, actually, dungeon crawlers, um, and Mm. by nature were very slow. Um, And that was Mm. just because, simply put, computers couldn't handle first-person rendering at this sort of frame rate back in the 90s, which is another reason why Doom is so fucking impressive, is because John Carmack basically brute-forced PCs to be able to create what we now know as modern video games, um, and I don't want to, I don't want to aggrandize it, but um, it did, in a sense, sort of create the genre because first-person shooters couldn't really have happened on computers prior to Doom, just because the just the ability to make it wasn't there. Mm. Well, this is it. I'm, I'm, I also sort of mitigate this idea that Doom created. A genre because I know the games like 3D Monster Maze, you know, those were first-person action games, and you know, you had games that involved killing monsters and killing monsters with guns or, or killing enemies with guns long before Doom. So to say that you know her story isn't new because it owes something to pick and uh, to, to point and click games, I should probably say the same for Doom. You know, it owes a lot to, to other games that came before it. Mm-hmm, but, definitely. Um, but I think yeah, I don't know. Sorry, Drew. Oh, I was going to say because I was wonder if you're going to drop that but i think the when you look at doom it's you know it's seeing the potential i i don't know it's easy to get bogged down in this and i'm not much of a technical guy um 
you know, but what Carmack was able to, what John Carmack was able to see in, in the possibilities of, of existing video games and how he could push that forward with, you know, creating these kind of more seamless worlds where the environment's loading in without you, you know, noticing it. Um, mm-hmm. And and what the the rest of the guys at ID were willing or able to see in how you can make an action game that felt like you were, you know, that took advantage of this technology. It's sort of a spin on a genre that became a genre. And yeah. you have to wonder how often that can happen. You know, Do you know like, I think it is? What... Go on, sorry. I didn't mean oh, no, no, no. I, I was pretty much done. I was just saying I wonder how many times that that you can expect that to happen in, in that well, sense, that... In, the, in the genre sense. Why perhaps... Um, where I perhaps differentiate Doom from games that are pushing games forward nowadays is that Doom did it with no pretense whatsoever. You know, it, it it's uh, the games that are kind of credited with pushing things forward and experimenting. Um, I think are quite aloof these days, and there is a, a high degree of pretension to them and a, a sort of knowing. A deliberate effort to be um, not necessarily pushing things forward in the sense of being like better or in the sense of being interesting or the sense of being, um, you know, credible works of art, but just, just being contrary. Whereas Doom, it doesn't feel like that to me. Doom, Doom feels just so heartfelt. You know, we, we want to just make a shooter. It's, it's not like humble, it's not meager, it's not self pitying, but it's just there's no pretension to it there's no sort of we're releasing this with the objective of changing games of of making a new zeitgeist it doesn't feel like that to me whereas something like her story certainly does it it feels like a response more than doom did um i'd probably disagree with you on that on her story i think there are problems with the game with that game in terms of the actual story it's telling um, mm. But I I think it's similar in that someone, you know, in this case Sam Barlow, the developer, had a thought, you know, and it to me it doesn't it doesn't feel calculated, you know. Um, mm. I disagree with that entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that her story, it comes close to being innovative or new or fresh or whatever the hell you want to call it, but it very much shows its seams if you look hard enough. It, it gets tripped up on a lot of gameisms that don't necessarily serve the story or the narrative, but they just sort of feel like they have to be there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not going to... I was just going from what Ed was saying. Just kind of, you know, I'm not going to... I don't want to get into her story again because I, I don't remember enough to you know confidently argue its merits or anything but I, I, I think just the idea of where new genres come from uh, where, where innovations come from uh, sometimes it can feel calculated but, but sometimes I think people just generally or genuinely think of a new way to express what they're trying to express and, and that to me is doom uh, it doesn't yeah. feel calculated. It doesn't feel calculated. It feels very, very honest, and um, without wanting to sort of wrap a kind of 
Steven Spielbergism around this. It feels kind of from the heart, and it's um, to that extent, yeah, just a, a very genuine. Uh, it's basically a lot of a lot of the games today. I think they are innovative and um, whatever, but only in respect to the rest of games. Whereas yeah. Doom, whereas Doom, uh, you know, I think that the world had never had anything like Doom before. Not just the game industry; the world had never had anything like Doom before. Uh, and that, to me, is you know, a much bigger boast than this is unlike any game I've played before. I think Doom is, especially in nineteen ninety three, unlike anything before. Well, what do you? What do you think about the idea that, because I was just thinking about this a bit more with it, with where influences are taken from with games? Because I think a, a lot of these games that kind of rub me the wrong way, games like you know the Stanley Parable or Par- Parable, or something like Spec Ops or um, uh, the Beginner's Guide, games that are kind of being clever by talking about games. Um, mm. Where they fall down is that their point of reference is games, um, mm-hmm. and I and I was thinking about this in terms of Doom, where you look at what Doom pulls from, and it mm. pulls from this kind of late '80s, you know, teenage metal aesthetic um, mm. of demons and blood and inverted crosses, and um, so it, it it feels fresh in terms of these guys were just grabbing from other stuff they liked that wasn't games. Um, but I also, oh sorry, I, I also think that um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm speaking here without anywhere near enough knowledge of kind of social movements or cultural history. But I think that um, that Doom could easily be classified as a very kind of integral cultural artifact of early '90s culture. You know, uh, grunge music. Um, alternative cinema that kind of generation x non-adherence to uh, authority or or standards you know i think that the doom is up there with anything like you know nirvana or my private idaho as um examples of popular art doing things differently yeah um you know I, I, like you say it's spec ops and whatever uh, they're doing things differently, but only in response to video games. Whereas Doom th- uh, feels to me like part of the time of history in which it was launched. And there's not many games today that I can say that for necessarily. Um, you know, a, a war game might be set in some sort of facsimile of the Middle East, but it doesn't feel to me um, particularly interested in the world outside of itself whereas doom subconsciously feels to me very much a product of its general culture and and i i I think in a lot of ways doom was one of the first video games to sort of quote make it and to break through into mainstream public consciousness um Mm. if you were to look at another game from that time period even like wolfenstein 3d and ask you know your your high school history teacher, hey, what do you think of Wolfenstein 3D? In 1992, they probably wouldn't know what you were talking about, but if you ask them their thoughts on Doom, even if they hadn't played it, they almost definitely had had some knowledge or experience of it and had formed some opinion on it. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that Doom is, um, you know, and Patrick and I, I think, mentioned this in Forward or something shooter but 
when you look at what video games have have broadly given pop culture, um, you kind of have Mario, Doom, and Call of Duty. You know, those are those are sort of where the the tendrils have spread out into our water culture, you know, in, in ways that you can really easily identify. Mm. Um, exactly. And I think that is because it, it was, as well as plucking from, you know, heavy metal, um, I think that it, it had its, just because the, the people making it were also young people at the time and I think invested in a certain type of 90s culture it certainly has its its thumb on the pulse of that um i think that basically if you were teaching some sort of history course of popular culture in the 1990s you would be you know very foolish to not include doom alongside whatever books and movies and music was around at that time also whereas if you were teaching a history class on you know 2007 uh i don't think call of duty modern warfare need necessarily appear there um mm. but you know maybe maybe that's unfair to say but that that's that's my sort of gut feeling towards doom is that it's it's like a genuine cultural artifact uh and not just part of a sort of canon of important video games hmm. i might argue with you but i don't know if that would be interesting to listen to at this um i do think stage. it's a really important distinction and one that thinking about it more and after hearing you say it I think I do agree with there's mm. a difference between the game being an important video game and an important cultural artifact um, mm. and I think we get a lot of the former these days um, but yeah. I, I don't I, I can't remember the last time we've had a game that was the latter mm. maybe Angry Birds yeah uh, I think Grand Theft Auto perhaps oh, that's, to an extent yeah that's actually a good point um, especially it, up, the, the, yeah. up the 2000s you know the yeah yeah I think Grand Theft Auto 3 um, and, and Vice City and San Andreas um, but it is it is rare I, I suppose that the reason it's rare is the same reasons it's rare in plenty of, of media is that these are you know these are the kind of greatest uh, examples of, of whatever medium they appear in, and, and as such, are quite distant. You know, there are not that many great, great artists. Um, I also think so that, not... that to penetrate the cultural sort of zeitgeist, you have to speak to something that's culturally universal. Um, mm. I think Doom does that. I'm trying to figure out how or what, and I can't. Well, it's it's a it's a combination, I think, of just sort of everything at the right time. Um, you know, Doom is is rock music, which was resurging in the 1990s. Doom is iconoclasm, which was, you know, this was the end of the 1980s and free market economy and conform and Reaganism. You know, this was the 90s and everyone was kind of going the other way. Um, and, you know, Doom was a, a sort of boastfully violent game. You know, this is a game that your parents wouldn't want you to know about, that wouldn't want to know about. Um, you know, I, I think that it was just a sort of conflag of everything at the right time, uh, and it's it is not very often that that happens. It's um, interesting when you say that, though, because a lot of like I think about it, and I think the attitude of Doom that's kind of 
extra textual maybe is is really 90s and the the actual aesthetic is super 80s you know the the hyper violence makes me think of uh you know 80s action movies um that were purposely kind of trying to epitomize like male uh masculinity and war and everything kind of this reagan doctrine uh big beefy dudes gunning down everybody kind of thing is is very doomed to me and and mm. the music being this kind of technical but artless uh guitar arpeggios and, and things like that like that to me is all like doomed to me has always felt like this late 80s construct that was put out in the early 90s well, i think maybe the difference though is with doom although it's got a lot of those things and those markers, is perhaps that Doom was coming from the bottom up rather than the top down. You know, this wasn't coming yeah. from a big movie studio in a sort of very, very popular and established entertainment form or art form. This was, you know, the underground. This was video games. This was something that, you know... Yeah, that's, that's what I meant. kind of mean, too, by it being the things outside of the game itself, sort of yeah. the attitude of it, you know, the, the things that are harder to define. Well... Maybe maybe this is why um, I, I sound cynical is because I think that maybe one of the differences between Doom and Now is nowadays you get you know different ideas and people trying different things, but they come from video games. Video games now are more stratified; they're more an industry; they're more top down. Um, yeah, there are guys. Whereas... There are guys in suits making decisions. Uh, exactly. So they they perhaps not fair it's not fair for me to think of this think of them think of them this way but they inherently feel uh, slightly calculated and slightly contrived whereas you know this is 1993 we're releasing this game as shareware for free and you can just like get it from your friend's computer and it's like passing things out at school you know it feels like a a, a, a real sort of passing out a you know a zine or you know a bootleg lp you've made in your garage it's it's very very different it comes from a very different place and perhaps to that extent feels more like um artwork basically mm-hmm. um yeah because you see even you know the the great hope i think of sort of from 2008 ish to now was that um independent developers were gonna we're gonna bring this back we're going to you know surge out there without giving a shit about the capital and they were just mm. going to make these pure forms of art and I think you've already seen that sour um, yeah because that's with any you know any media where it's so much money goes into making these things uh, I still think people who aren't uh, affiliated with with companies with, with salaries on the line and everything have a better shot at making really strange wonderful things Um mm. I just lost my train of thought completely. Well, I think as soon as indie games became a sort of genre and yeah. became sort of stratified and um, people started to associate certain things with indie, that that dream turned sour and basically died. Um, yeah. But that, so, but that doesn't mean that it's just not going to happen anymore. There will always be... No, not at all. Any media and, and games are such a rich... Uh, medium because there's so much potential that hasn't been explored you're always going to find people who just want to express something using you know well, what they think of 
I mean, I think that, that's that always going to happen. I think there are probably a dozen people making games in their bedrooms or basements or garages now that we're never going to see. Um, those games are always going to exist. I think it's just a question of whether or not they get to us. And I think that the way well, that the indie quote market is set up today is uh, is meant to keep that from happening because it's it is so tightly yeah. controlled. Yeah. Co- coincidentally, though, the games that I perhaps find the most intriguing and heartening today are the ones that I receive perhaps in the same way that I would have received Doom. You know, they're the games that I find on something like itch.io mm-hmm. or, you know, games that are just kind of floating around on some Flash game website somewhere that have had no press, no publicity. They've not gone through Steam Greenlight. They've not even got like a, you know, a Twitter account associated with them. They're, they're just sort of... Um, Again, they're, they're sort of bootleg LPs, and those are the games that I find the most stimulating. Um, again, perhaps largely just because of where they originate. Um, yeah, it's kind of no, no. You're right. It's it's that whole. I mean, at, at a certain extent, too, we're talking, and I imagine if you're listening to this, you're also someone who plays a lot of games, and the thing is, you want after a certain amount of time familiarity breeds contempt and you, you want something that's going to kind of sock you in the arm um, and you know energize you again and and in all in all media it's it's like when you listen to a ton of music and you're not finding what you're liking you know the internet has changed quite a bit but it's still that your best bet is to go see local shows and you know pay what you can shows and mm. uh, same thing with visual art and uh, you know we you do see that in games now with places like, like itch, itch.io, itch.io. Mm. I never know how to say itch.io. it. Itch.io. Um, but yeah, it's it, it is these people like what Patrick was saying that there there are these people who are going to make these things in their bedroom and just try to get it out and they're not they're not thinking of it as a as a career path necessarily. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. True. Exactly. Um, I feel like we've you know we this is one of the most important things to talk about Doom is it is it sort of cultural place, not just in nineteen ninety three, but but today. Um but I did start this this show by asking uh what has Doom contributed to modern day shooters? What are the influences that it has had? Uh we're running up to nearly sixty minutes now and you know it's I think inadvisable to go much over that. But I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on um what have modern shooters kept from doom and what have they ditched you know what have what have we retained of doom and and what's evolved and what's changed and and whether you think that it's beneficial or detrimental patrick what do you reckon weirdly i feel like a lot of modern shooters have moved far away from doom um kind of starting i guess with halo in 2001 um that's sort of the era as soon as shooters move from pcs to consoles they started changing them because PCs and consoles can do different things and they have different technical limitations and control limitations and you have to streamline some things that you otherwise normally wouldn't. There's also the push for you know greater realism or whatever. So all of the things, or many of the things that make Doom, Doom, um, the varied sort of arsenal of weapons, the rooms just filled with monsters, um, 
not reloading your guns. You can literally just run through and just shoot your gun as often as you want. Like all of these things have sort of fallen by the wayside. Um, but at the same time, a lot of games are still being made in the same spirit. Yeah. So it's this it's this weird sort of thing where we kind of have stuck Doom on a shelf, and we we do refer back to it every now and then. But for the most part, we just kind of approach it as, all right, remember when this was the thing that we were doing? Hmm. There have been there have been some other games, especially recently. There's been a resurgence of modern shooters that have tried to emulate the old style of games like Serious Sam and Hard Reset and uh, Painkiller. Um, and they've they've done some things that are a little bit different than like Call of Duty. But for the most part, Doom is uh, it's it's kind of it's our it's given us everything it has to give us, I think. And now we're just sort of iterating on that. Reed, what do you reckon? I think that's a... I'm thinking about what Patrick said too, but I think it's such a hard question to say, you know, what what the influence of Doom is because it's, you know, I think it's, its influence is, at this point, you know, 23 years on, uh, are, are subtle in a lot of ways too. Um, I think what we expect out of shooters, specifically... First-person action shooters are um, so indebted to what Doom did, and what Patrick mm-hmm. was saying about sort of the the mechanical trappings of it, like the the weapon variety and, and just the way that combat is is established, it is pretty much gone. But you think of what Doom did with trying to make a sense of place for a shooter, and that's still there. I I don't know. That's a tough question because you know, and and when you say does it have a did it have a negative or a positive impact? And I think about this. Doom is super cool, but look what it gave us in terms of what games are. You know that the mm-hmm. most popular games necessarily have to be the ones about just sort of mindless killing. You know, which is fun, but that's you know ninety five percent of our medium. Yeah, it definitely did well, set a is- precedent. This is this is one thing that I've I've thought about, uh, and this this might be me perhaps with a, a slightly narrow view of, of games prior to Doom, but when I think of games prior to Doom, I I often think of platformers. When I think of platformers, the enemies in platformers are obstacles. You can jump over them, you can avoid them. Um, the joy isn't necessarily in you know bopping a, a, a goomba in Mario. It's you know crossing a platform, collecting coins reaching the end of the level. I wonder if Doom was one of the first games to really insist upon the joy of killing. I would you know, absolutely to, agree with that. To, to make killing you know, the point of the game and the fun of the game is in killing enemies. Um, I wonder to what extent games before Doom did that. Um, yeah, and well, I mean... It's so in, intentional in Doom, you know, and that's part of what's, you know, we talk about this again and again, but what's delightful about a game like Doom and a game like Resident Evil 4 or something like that is the, the lavish detail that's gone into the gore and the, you know, the, the moment of impact when a bullet hits a body, you know, and, mm. and it's taps into the primal urge to see something get destroyed 
or to mm -hmm. defeat something that wants to defeat you and yeah that that I mean, has Doom, gone away from games it hasn't gone away and it's grown much uglier uh because we've gone from you know killing the monsters of hell to to killing you know insurgents in foreign wars and to killing in something like the division people who are you know surviving a natural disaster um the, the joy of killing i think exists pretty much in its its pure form as it did in doom but the context has shifted um and so it's, it's a lot more troubling these days i think we're also uh, more self-aware and, and embarrassed by it today than we were 20 years ago and so we should be yeah yeah um, be, well when we look at what games are if it's embarrassing when you think about that 23 years from on from doom our games look a lot prettier um but they are still essentially the same thing mm. i i th these are you know it's painting with a broad brush uh of games when doom came out in games now but when you look at the mainstream um not a lot has changed well it it, it sort of I feel very conflicted when I, I read or hear Doom described as dumb fun, uh, as if to say it's kind of dumb fun in compared to, to, modern mis to modern video games, which are more sophisticated fun. Uh, I actually think that Doom is a much more intelligent shooter than a shooter that insists you enjoy killing, and the people you're killing are, you know, uh, again, these insurgents in foreign wars. I think that's much stupider. You know, that's, that's way more ignorant of, of sort of nuance or... Uh, humanism or, or culture or the player's conscience and something like doom um well so i almost wonder if something to say about killing insurgents unless you have something significant and nuanced to say about it which isn't just referring to other video games where you also kill insurgents mm -hmm. uh i i think that yeah i think that to some extent doom is much more intelligent than than games now i feel like uh games have maybe got stupider since doom um well not 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 you know that's that's a really general statement i i would but... i would say that the emphasis has fallen from design to sort of appearance and uh and spectacle um doom is yeah. doom is every inch of it is design driven whereas a lot of games today especially shooters are spectacle driven I, i'd say to, to sort of pull back a little bit that there there are shooters today that by comparison to Doom to me seem very stupid um, yeah because well, they, they, they still want they still want you like to love killing and to just be into killing but they don't sort of understand that the context in which they present that needs a lot more care that's a big the more I think about this it's a big thorny issue but I mm. I do generally generally agree, and I agree with what Patrick is saying too about spectacle. I, I think a lot of what has been taken from Doom is not necessarily um, some of the finer points of of how you can make combat in a video game this this kind of balletic, carefully thought out thing, even if it's happening at a fast pace, but more about just the the primal pleasure of blasting something apart with a gun you know i think yeah. that's a lot of what's carried over from doom yeah. um well i'll tell you what let's let's 
conclude the <laughs> the the sort of loftier discussion and end on something quite simple because I think Doom uh, is a game that you know above all else wants its players to have quite simple pleasures. Uh, Patrick, what is your favourite gun in Doom, and why? Uh, that's a hard question. I want to say the shotgun just because it is what I think possibly might be the most perfect video game shotgun. Um, but I think I'm going to forego that and go with the BFG just because it is such a like an unprecedented thing to have in a game. And as a player, you just are totally never expecting it. Like, you pick this thing up and then you figure out, oh, it's a gun that kills everything. Mm -hmm. um, which is not really something we're used to having. You, you, know, you get shotguns and machine guns or whatever, and then there's this gun that shoots a big giant green ball and everything dies, and it's just so great. Yeah, the way, the, the, way the BFG is designed, too, where you kind of hold it in, and it, yeah, and you feel like it's this big, it's like a thermonuclear reactor in the player's hand, you know? Mm. But I, I like the shotgun the most just because you use it a lot, and I think there's this this great rhythm to it. This The sound effects are beautiful, these big, chunky, kind of clacking sounds as you, as you mm. uh, load it. Um, but there's something really deliberate about it that kind of embodies the pace of doom where you're kind of mm. scooting around these enemies and you get close and you know how many shots it's going to take to take one of these demons down and um it's yeah i think it's the all-time great uh weapon in a video game i personally really like either the plasma rifle or the rocket launcher because i like having to sort of lead them you know um the shotgun and the pit a lot of the guns in doom are sort of hit scan weapons uh, whereas the plasma rifle, you actually have like a physical projectile, and you have to time if they're running from the left to the right. You have to time and sort of aim in front of them. And I like getting into the you know the the imp enemies that fire the fireballs, and you can go left and right and dodge them. It's good to be in a fight with a group of those when you've got the plasma rifle, and they can sort of dodge back and forth from your bullets as well. It's like tennis. Um, yeah, I enjoy that. Yeah, but and it sounds really good. Wouldn't Wouldn't you rather dodge their fireball things and get them close and just give them the old one Blow two. Them. Well, that's true. That's true. I mean, the super shotgun in Doom 2 obviously is... That's possibly the best video game weapon ever. Yeah, yeah. The super shotgun is fantastic. I When we played this, uh, when I played this again before this show, went through Doom again and I thought, oh, maybe my memory of Doom 2 is like too harsh. And I loaded it up and I was like, I don't like this level design. But that super shotgun. No. I had to go until I got that super shotgun. I think that Doom 2 may actually exist solely to justify the super shotgun. <laughs> it should. It should just be a series of hallways filled with enemies, and you just have the super shotgun. Because, oh the my first... god, that gun is amazing. The first level in Doom 2, I think it's the first level where you do get the super shotgun, but it's also that annoying level where you have to run really fast to make this jump across a gap to hit the switch to open it. Ugh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you have the super shotgun and that kind of offsets it. Uh, I was about to ask for opinions on Doom 2 and maybe Doom 3, but I think we'll probably cover both those games um, in full in later episodes, especially Doom 3, because that one you know, really requires a, a whole hour to itself. Um, I'll tell you what, that just, to, just to make this podcast relevant and 
topical, hashtag topical. Uh, are either of you actually looking forward to the new Doom? That's my ointment. <laughs> it was prescribed. It was prescribed to me as hashtag topical. <laughs> uh, I am actually looking forward to it because I have heard a lot of good things about it, and what I've seen um, seems to lead me to believe that it's maintained sort of the fast, frenetic pace of Doom. Doom three. Mm. Doom three was. Uh, I mean. We'll talk, as you said, we'll talk about it later, but it basically abandoned everything that made Doom 1 so great. And it, from what I've seen, it looks like this new Doom, which I'm obnoxiously calling Doom with four O's, um, <laughs> um, it looks to be trying to correct that mistake. Mm. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, re- I'm really up for it. I'm, I'm hopeful because I think it, it looks like it, it took what little worked in Doom 3, and then tossed away, you know, the other 98% of that game. Um, yeah. Like, it looks like it's got some good mood. Like, um... Yeah. It's got a real a real look to it. A good, good Satan look going on in that game mm. that Doom 3 didn't have. But it's also, like Patrick was saying, it's got, it looks like it's got some speed and some oomph. I played the multiplayer aspects last year and I, I really 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 did enjoy it so yeah I think we're universally optimistic for Doom uh, join us two months from now when we do a podcast on how much we hate the new Doom because <laughs> uh, it turned out to be awful I was going to say I think, uh, I'm, I think I'm reviewing that new Doom so I, I am too yeah. uh, I am too we're, all three of us are reviewing the new Doom so, Okay, so, so maybe well. the show notes will have three terrible reviews <laughs> There's, yeah, there's gonna be yeah. the, this weird, odd, like sort of meta narrative moment where Doom guy stops and thinks about the implications of all of this uh. alien violence, and, <laughs> and then you you're, pulls you're back introduced and it's... to like a, a demon's family, and yeah, it pulls back and it's the player holding a controller in the TV, oh, no. and turns to yeah. you, and just points a finger at you and shakes his head, he takes his helmet off and it's it's your face, yep. <laughs> Taken by the Kinect camera. <laughs> right, well, here's hoping that doesn't happen. Uh, in the next couple of episodes, I think some of the games that we're going to be discussing, we are going to be doing Half-Life 2. We, What else did we have on the slate? I don't remember. Yeah, I, th- I don't think we thought... Bulletstorm well, coming up. No, wait. Bulletstorm is out. Yeah, by the time our listeners hear this, they will be able to listen to our Bulletstorm episode. Yeah, that's, yes. that's already there for the getting. Uh, oh, uh, we had we had Half-Life 2. We also had 50 Sound Blood on the Sand. Oh, right. Um, right. Which we, are, which we are definitely doing. And uh, I think... I'm um, even going to go out. It, it could even be that our next one might be Mirror's Edge. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because that's out as well this month. Um, yeah, but I'm going to go out and get not just fifty cent blood on the sand. I'm going to get fifty cent bulletproof as well. I'm going to I'm going to have a whole fifty Are we cent. Going to do a double feature, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Well, uh, until then, I guess we'll sign off. Um, Reed, once again, where can we find you on the uh, internet? You can find me on various websites where there's video game writing, but I will always tweet about it to. Uh, bring it to your attention at Reed McCarter on Twitter I'm Patrick um, again various video game writing websites um, many of which include my thoughts on Doom 
as I have <laughs> written many, many words about this game. Um, but again, as with Reed, if you really want to find me, check out my Twitter at Han Freakin Solo. And you can find me on Twitter at Most Sincerely Ed. Uh, and I think it's just worth reiterating that Masters of Doom is a good book to read uh, by David Kushner, Scary Dark Fast by Dan Pinchbeck. And also, since we mentioned it on this show, uh, Shooter, available now from Amazon.com for the reasonable price of $9.99. Uh, it's a perfect birthday and Christmas gift. And that also features uh, essays and writing on Doom. Um, yep, I'm the... sure you... Oh, sorry, Don't I was just going to call out specifically, yeah, Stephen Wright's essay on Doom. Mm-hmm. Uh, goes into sort of how the shooting is designed in that game in Doom versus how shooting is designed in a, a game now. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a good essay. Uh, I'd actually also like to draw special attention to uh, an essay that the two of you collaborated on for Kill Screen last year uh, about hell and Satan imagery in Doom 2, which can be found on killscreen.com if you just Google killscreen, no, Lindsay, Reed McArthur. I'll put it in the show notes. I have to point out put it in the show notes. you wrote something also on killscreen where you uh, shat on that essay. No, I didn't. No, you didn't. You just said that you disagreed. I just said that I hate the two people that wrote it, <laughs> and I, I hate working with them, <laughs> and that I wish I didn't have to. That's all that I said. That's true. Uh, yeah, I, I wrote an article about Doom 3 for Killscreen. Um, Why? Which, uh, 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 well, I uh, did say that it was very bad, uh, but as I have on this program... Uh, I also went into some detail about why I, I dislike the level design of um, the older Doom games and reference your guys' essay. Um, but yeah, I'm sure all these will be in the show notes, uh, so be sure to read those. And yeah, join us next time when I think we'll be discussing Mirror's Edge, that's the original, not Mirror's Edge Catalyst. Uh, until then, thank you once again for listening, and bye-bye. Bye-bye.